0: and we're live welcome to don't be coy i'm your host uncle Lou, and today i have the honor pleasure and the utmost appreciation to have with me today mr brandon irby brandon thank you for being on the show how are you doing this afternoon
1: Oh, i'm doing well thanks for having me
0: of course of course uh how's your previous week
1: been man you know the week has been has been good i uh was finishing up my second year uh, at the University of Kentucky. And it's been a a roller coaster uh, as a start. (laughs) Uh, But it's been good. It's been good to kind of bring it it down and uh, start the summer off.
0: No, I totally understand that, man. So for the people at home, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Oh, no problem. So, yes, I'm, I'm Brandon Irby i'm currently an assistant professor at the university of kentucky i'm uh, in the writing rhetoric and digital studies department also affiliate faculty in african-american and africana studies and uh, i'm originally from saginaw michigan and i I went down to college for for undergrad and uh, after that i went up to new jersey i got a master's degree there and then over to penn state uh, for or another masters and ultimately my phd uh, all of my degrees are in english and i also have um a background in african american studies as well uh so it's been uh it's it's funny today i believe is Tougaloo colleges uh commencement and so class of 2022 this marks 10 years that i've graduated from Tougaloo. so oh wow it's been uh, yeah, it, it's crazy to think about the last 10 years and, and everything that has, has, uh has happened. But I'm, I'm sure we'll probably get into a, a little bit of that. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, I guess my, my academic, <laughs> my academic story. But um, yeah, as you can see, a lot of my academic pursuits have kind of dominated my life in the last several years.
0: Yeah, no, man, I totally understand that. And you're absolutely right. I think um, I I really want to touch on like, um, as you said, like your academic career, because even within that, I think that there's various different layers to it. And like what uh, I've always admired about you is like, um, especially how you've taken this academic pursuit or just your pursuit towards your career, but you've also been able to hit a lot of those key milestones and like, Um, have this kind of parallel life that you go with it. So I'm really excited for the conversation we're gonna have today, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: For sure. So like, as you were talking about earlier and just the pursuit of your career is taking you to many places, like originally from Michigan, down to Mississippi, up to New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Kentucky. Um, Can you talk a little bit as far as like, what started this passion towards like African-American studies, African-American rhetoric?
1: Yeah, so I knew um, when I was thinking about college, I knew that I wanted to attend an HBCU. And uh, the reason for that is because I just wanted to be around uh, (laughs) Black people, but I also knew that I wanted to be a part of uh, like a tradition or a legacy of like Black excellence Mm -hmm. in like academia. And so when I got to uh, Tougaloo, Uh, I had in my mind that I wanted to be uh, a lawyer and I knew that I wanted to, you know, think about writing as a way to to get me uh, closer to my dream of becoming a lawyer. Uh, But as I started, you know, taking English and writing classes, I realized that there was a whole uh, side of of English studies that I had not known about. And I'm just talking about African-American literature. And so really thinking about uh, the things that I was reading and how these black writers were, you know, not necessarily writing about uh, issues that were just mundane or, you know, for entertainment or what have you, but they were also being really critical about the worlds that they were living in mm-hmm. and, you know, thinking that their writing could help make our world better um, and, you know, shine light on like the the good and the positive aspects of black people, black culture and not always addressing you know, negative stereotypes, I thought that was really fascinating. And so that's how I, you know, said, you know, maybe I don't really want to be a lawyer. Maybe I want to uh, think about uh, these readings a little bit more. uh, Think about how these writers are addressing the world, addressing, uh, you know, social political issues a little bit more. And so that's at Tougaloo is when I really started thinking about uh, African-American studies and African-American literature as as a, you know, a legitimate form of communication. Mm. And so uh, a couple of places later, when I get to Penn State, I started to get into rhetoric a little bit more because the thing about uh, literature for me is I was always confined with, uh, you know, like fiction. And so I was reading the novels, I was reading the short stories, I was reading poetry. And, you know, a lot of that work. Uh, while it was addressing like real life issues, it was still seen as uh, works of fiction. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that you know that was cool. But I always I I wanted to also like bridge out and address the ways that people are writing um, in real time, um, and to think about how people are you know using language, using communication skills um, to address real life events. Or to address their real lives and particular historical moments, and so that's why I started to get into rhetoric because that then allowed me to look at not only the literature but look at speeches and look at um, you know what kind of discourses is hap- are happening on on television and news uh, news media, um, and so I, I just you know broaden my perspective out to think about. The different ways that people communicate and use language, use writing, that's not confined to novels and literature and poetry, but to just think about the daily ways that we engage in public life. And so that may be with speaking, that may be with writing, but that may be with, you know, using our bodies to march and to protest or to do other types of things on social media or other types of digital engagement. And so I just took my love for writing and literature and I brought it out to, you know, think about rhetorical and public discourse as a whole.
0: Yeah, no, I think that that's really interesting, especially like when we think about just like African-American literature or just African-American studies, like you're right, like it's a lot of um, history around like, you know, obviously the civil rights era, different things of that nature. And more so as you were talking about focusing on the rhetoric of like today's time frame, like how do you feel like from just your perspective of um, just studying the the material, how like the different forms of like media and the different forms of like how we communicate or ways that we can communicate. um, Yeah, ways that we can communicate has changed over time. and impacted the message, not necessarily to say that it's watered it down or anything of that nature, but like been able to um, reach the audiences that it's been able to reach, but even reaching an even broader audience than maybe even before.
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, for me, it's always about what are people doing with the resources that they have in their moment, in their particular moment. And mm-hmm. so I study the civil rights uh era and I, i've looked at political activism and the ways that people kind of resist dominant, you know modes of power and i'm always interested in seeing well what did they do with what they had then and what you see is the the message doesn't necessarily change it's just the uh the the medium mm. and so uh for instance i did my dissertation on emmett till and Mamie Till mobley his mother and so for me, I always wanted to address what uh, Emmett Till's mom did with her son's casket and how she used his casket to open up, um, you know, a really a, a political or uh, activist call for others to engage in, you know, civil disobedience and, and to try to bring attention to uh, racial justice issues. But what she did with that, with that casket is what we see with many people doing today with their cell phones and with their social media platforms when they're trying to bring awareness and attention to racial injustices. And so, you know, if we think about Mamie Till opening up her casket, opening up Emmett Till's casket in 1955, but we also think about what a 17-year-old Darnella Frazier did with her cell phone in 2020 to document, you know, the death of George Floyd. They're doing identical things. They're doing identical rhetorical things. Mm. Their audiences are public, you know, the, the public and the nation at large to try to resist and fight back. But with that, you know, 60 plus year gap, one is using a casket, one is using another piece of technology. And so I, that's, that's what is fascinating to me is that the work is ongoing. It, it seems like we're, we're constantly engaging in, in, you know, ways of resistance and trying to make the world better. But we're always using the different technologies available to us at, at our particular time. And even if we talk about, you know, someone, you know, years before Mamie Till Mobley, like uh, Ida B. Wells, who is doing the same type of work about lynchings in America and, and who's getting lynched and the numbers of people being lynched and why they're getting lynched. She's an investigative reporter. Yeah. And so she's using writing. She's using data. She's using, you know, numbers and statistics to document these things, maybe to only use the casket. People today are using their cell phones, but it's all for this, you know, larger uh, work of of racial and social justice. And so that's the type of stuff that I'm interested in that no matter the time period, what are the means of of which people are engaged in the work?
0: Yeah. So I'm going to make a little bit of a shift here, a little bit of a pivot, because I think that you brought up something Um, two different things that I really thought that you brought up was really interesting. One related to like this aspect of like black excellence and like you saying that you wanted to be a little, you wanted to be a part of that legacy um, of black excellence. So like you went and went to an HBCU. And then as far as even with um, dedicating your career towards focusing on like African-American studies and like how um, like people may utilize the different resources that they have to tell whatever is the story at that particular time. I'm curious around like, even for yourself, like, because you're at a a very interesting crossroads, right? Like you've mentioned earlier, you spent the last 10 years focusing on um, your like, uh, academic career. But then at the same time, during those past 10 years, you got married, you had you've had a child, all these different like other milestones that some people they don't necessarily put pause on like their dreams but like um they defer it a little bit if you will or like they focus on one thing and you've been able to have that kind of parallel for it and so what I'm really curious about is like this pursuit of excellence that you've had um for like family career and even like yourself um I'm curious around how you've been able to utilize some of the resources that you've been able to to um, make those things Possible
1: Yeah, yeah, you know The interesting thing is I, I knew that I I always wanted A family Like I, I knew I wanted A, a life partner, a, a wife A spouse, I knew I wanted children And I, I didn't know Like when it would all Happen, and so, you know, as you're you know, asking the questions, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Like I have been really fortunate in in a way to like have those things while simultaneously being able to pursue my, my academic, um, you know, I guess, dream of, of, you know, getting, getting my degrees, getting a job and, you know, things of that nature. But I will say that, you know, I met my, my wife at Tougaloo, And so uh, thinking about just having to go through a journey with someone else who was also going through their journey, Mm -hmm. um, I think is important, was important for me. Uh, So it was like, you know, we both right now (laughs) started from the bottom, (laughs) you know, Uh, we're both kind of like struggling to figure out how can we maintain our relationship, but still not lose ourselves in our relationship Mm -hmm. and still be able to do the things that we want to do. And so I think uh, because we we started dating um, young and, and early in like our you know academic and career um, uh, journeys, I think it helped us because we could lean on one another. and it was still new. Like we didn't know what we were going to do. We didn't know how things were going to pan out. We just knew that we had a vision for our lives and that we were committed to one another and we were just gonna see how how it panned out. And so I, I always think about that um, as, I guess, a driving force for us to be so young and know that anything that we accomplish, we are accomplishing, accomplishing it together and we're building it together. Um, and so now we can look back and say, man, look where were we five years ago? And we're look at we, where we are today. And we can continue to ask those questions as we move forward. And I will say too, that there were some rough patches as well. I mean, when when I got married in 2015, that was the, uh, I had just finished my first year uh, of my PhD program at Penn State. My wife had finished her first year in her MPH program at George Washington in Washington, DC. And so our first two years of marriage, we were uh, separated. I was in Pennsylvania, she wasn't living in Maryland. And so that is a different kind of, you know, uh, situation. Uh, I guess it adds to what we're trying to do academically and also knowing that we are newlyweds, but we're still living apart. And we're you know, we're apart by a good three and a half, four hours. So it's not just a, like, you know, quick <laughs> drive to where yeah. we are living. Um, so I, I do think that the motivation is that we are both trying to grind, right? We're both trying to make a better life not only for ourselves um as individuals but ourselves as a unit as a couple and so that kind of helped us because we were both pushing for one another to succeed um and you know when you have someone like in your corner uh but also in the same boat so they kind of know you know what's going on academically they know what's going on personally um that helps and so it's it's a very fortunate story that you know our lives were able to kind of intersect that way where we were able to, um, you know, reach our goals academically, but also form a relationship, uh, and a marriage. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a blessing, man. And I think, you know, when our, when our son was born in 2020, you know, that's, uh, entirely (laughs) different story because you know we were excited for him to come but we learned of his you know that he was coming before the pandemic hit and so you know trying to manage the emotions of bringing bringing a child into the world um dealing with a worldwide pandemic but also like for me i was finishing up my phd and trying to and we were trying to move to kentucky like there was a lot of things happening all in one time and so to have that you know support system knowing that i had someone in my corner that i had had known since i was 18 you know um i think that helped and so yeah I, i think you know because we we started so young it's 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 easy i guess in a way for us to kind of navigate um you know the the issues Uh, that we are managing because it's you know like we're watching each other grow and learn as we kind of experience things
0: yeah no I think that that's uh, that's very interesting and like I kind of want to um, pause a little bit and like save this for later when you talked about self because I think that that's very important Um, especially when you talk about having somebody in your corner and then having someone in your boat uh, in the same boat relatively but like recognizing I think what corner that is because at the same time i think it's interesting like when you're um developing and growing as an individual like you have to kind of get used to your own space you know what i'm saying like understanding like who you are as an individual and so like i'm curious as far as like how you went about like learning yourself um as an individual um not only through like your academic career because it's you know that seem um, you know it's of interest to you, but like who you are as a person, and like while also maintaining like those kind of dual responsibilities now of um, being a husband and being a father.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think um, you know one thing about me, I, and I think this helped is when I you know left for Tugaloo and as I said earlier, I'm from Michigan, going so going to Mississippi. Uh, that's a good uh, thousand miles between, <laughs> yeah. you know, my hometown and where I went to college. And, and once I graduated from, from Tougaloo, I mean, it was really I would go home for a couple of days or a week or so, and then I'm on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, just having that mentality of I'm going to try to create a life for myself um, helped me navigate who I was and who I wanted to be and who I was becoming. And so, you know, just thinking through uh, the various ways that I, you know, had carved out time for myself. You know, I would drive uh, from Michigan to Mississippi and, and, and back and forth. I would drive from Michigan to New Jersey, and in in you know just thinking about, you know, when I was in New Jersey, when I was in Pennsylvania, although I was in a you know a serious uh, and committed relationship, we were. Often we were more separate than we were together. Mm. And so that just had, that just provided time and moments for me to be me, to learn more about me, to, uh, you know, grow and become who I am. And so now that I am, you know, in one place with a family, with a job, and we are now creating a, a home for ourselves and our family. I think it's, again, easier for us to do that because we did have those moments when we were separated. Yeah. And as I was growing and developing a routine and a schedule and doing things my own way, I'm sure, you know, my wife was doing the same thing. And so now it's, it's a way for us to just bring those things together um, because we never really lost sight of ourselves and who we were for the sake of being in a relationship. It was always oh, you want to do this, you want to get this degree, you want to pursue those things, go for it. And even if those things weren't allowing us to be in the same city, the same state at the same time, we still knew that it was, you know, for a bigger picture. Um, and at some point, you know, we would be together, right? So it was never, it was never an issue on that regard. We always wanted to make sure that we were um, securing ourselves as individuals and being real with ourselves as individuals um, because we know that that would just create a stronger bond between us and so yeah I'm, I'm thinking that like you know those those moments after Tulu really and when I say moments I'm talking like five years That's, that span of five years uh, that really provided me an opportunity to just you know kind of figure out life for myself you know because at this point I had developed a community at Tougaloo and I was no longer at, at Tougaloo. I was no longer home, and the person that I was in a serious relationship uh, with is no longer in my my day-to-day, you know, space. And so I really had to figure out, well, you know, what would life be if it was just me? And I think that's an important, you know, uh, an important question that everyone has to have and everyone has to kind of deal with, because it really does, uh, you know, make you figure things out on your own. But once you get out, you know, once you get onto the other side, then you can at least look back and say, whatever the roadblocks were, or whatever the issues were, I came out, I'm good. And it's a, it's a learning experience for me.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, man. And I kind of want to touch on that a little bit more as far as just like that time period when you're creating a life for yourself or securing yourself as an individual. Like, I'm sure during that time, you... You grew a lot um mentally emotionally physically however you would like to perceive it and like i'm curious around like how you navigated like some of those highs and like some of those lows because i i can imagine being in a space where you're not near your partner and like going through the challenges of graduate school your phd program all of these different things like um it could have been it was challenging it could have been challenging for you and um how you um grounded yourself so that you wouldn't necessarily weigh not in the sense of like um anything that would cause any detriment to your relationship but more so to yourself i think that that's um like the the key thing in itself because it's like as we were talking about earlier It's kind of like yourself who branches out into these things. You decided that you wanted to pursue this English degree and pursue going to grad school. You pursued um, dating your now wife and all of these different things. So when you were in a space where you were literally removed from the familiarities of the community you built at Tougaloo, the familiarity of home, the familiarity of like now your now spouse, like, how was that period for you? And like, how did you um, build that um, dynamic within yourself to stay firm and make it through
1: that five-year period? Yeah, yeah. More good questions. And I I think for me, it was also, it was just as important uh, for me to find a community um, outside of, you know, the community that I already had. Mm. Um, And so I knew that, you know, people wouldn't be able to uh, take me out of my comfort zone uh, in in a way that will be detrimental to like what I was there for. Right. So like uh, I knew that at the end of the day, I was in this particular place because of this institution and and this program. So I knew that you know, I had to make sure that the academic stuff was, you know, going to, um, you know, take care of itself, and that wasn't going to, you know, no one was going to take me away from that. But I also knew that, in order for me to survive it, I needed to have a community, because if it was just straight academics, I and I was lonely. Like <laughs> that wasn't going to fly. Yeah. And so for me, it was a, it was about, you know, locating and and navigating. These situations with people that I I could trust and that I knew would be my community. And, fortunate, and fortunately unfortunately for me, uh, while I was at Penn State, my uh, dissertation advisor uh, was a uh, a black man that I, I really looked up to, and I I thought that he represented um, you know all of the things that I would I, I wanted to. Uh, Personify as a black male professor, and so knowing that he was there, kind of you know, showing me the ropes on the on the professional side, but he was also down to earth. He was also someone who would you know treat all of his advisees to weekly dinners. He was also one to call me and say, "Hey, did you did you see this uh, basketball game last night?" He you know he was just a well rounded individual. And so having him in my, you know, corner to support me through the journey, but also forming a community uh, with people who were also at my institution who um, knew the importance of, like, work-life balance, right? So, like, they were handling their their business uh, with the academic side, but they also knew that it was just as important to, you know, eat. <laughs> it was just as important to... Uh, Hang out and you know get uh, a fresh of uh, a breath of fresh air after a long day. Um, that was really important for me, and that also helped me to see that life is more than just you know the job, the work, the the studies. But it's also about you know sustaining relationships, um, and developing community, and making sure that you know you're you don't feel like everything has to be uh isolating Mm -hmm. and so i would say that 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 is um you know really important and you know if you don't know where penn state is the institution penn state university it's literally in the middle of nowhere like nowhere pennsylvania and so you definitely need some outlets um, or some people to kind of help you you know along the way and so that was really important for me you know having people uh that i also you know saw as mentors saw as people who are peers in a, in a particular community who helped me navigate life outside of academia was, was very important.
0: Yeah. So no, that's, that's really interesting, man. I, I really appreciate that, especially like how you talk about like sustaining relationships. Uh, I'm curious now that like things are kind of, you know, living in the present right now, things are kind of um, a little bit more stable in the sense that you and your wife are in the same space. You have your child together um how are you creating that kind of balance in yourself where it's like you're have these rising responsibilities as a husband and a father um and like still trying to sustain those relationships while also trying to build a career at the same time i feel like Mm -hmm. you have like two really important things because they really and truthfully support each other but at the same time you want to sustain those relationships that you've built um over time and like you know obviously sometimes like um things aren't necessarily as they all once were in the sense of people you spoke to every single day or every so often becomes further and far between but like um, the importance of still having community um, still being able to sustain that community um, as some people say still continuing to date your wife all of those different type of things how are you maintaining those like high priorities that are important for you um in your life?
1: yeah you know and this this is a uh a ongoing uh thing that I ask myself because i i do think that uh now that I am a father, my time is probably the most important. <laughs> asset that i have Mm. and it's it's something that you know before it it was it was no problem to say oh i really have to get something done let me you know wake up at 4 a.m 5 a.m whatever let me stay stay up later to get it done it's done boom and then i can you know catch up on the rest later and you know that's how i kind of navigated situations that's how you know both uh, my wife and I kind of navigated our time around things because we knew that it was just us we could we could adjust to uh, each other's schedules we can you know work around whatever obligations we had and you know at the end of the day we will always be able to come back to whatever it is uh, that we needed to but now as a as a as a parent, you know the 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 schedule is so tight. <laughs> And then there's always these, you know, you know, things that we can't account for. Like we, we can't we just never know when our son is going to wake up at two in the morning or three in the morning or whatever the case may be. <laughs> and we never know when he goes back, uh, when he wakes up, is he going to go back to sleep in five minutes, 10 minutes, two hours? <laughs> right. We mm-hmm. don't know if. Um, well, on Wednesday We get a call that he's not feeling well and he's not he's not going to be feeling well for the next two, three days or whatever. And so that just, you know, these things really take a toll on us mentally, uh, on me mentally. It takes uh, away from, you know, the day to day tasks that I may have set aside and the assignments or the projects or the meetings or whatever it is that I, I need to account for. And so I would say that this is something that I am still trying to work through. It's, it's still a struggle, you know, trying to be um, more strategic and smart with my time to account for the the unknowns that will happen and will take away, um, you know, moments of my time. And so I, got, I still have to work on that. But what I will say is, is it's it's very important for me to make sure that everybody feels like they are being seen and their needs are being met by me Mm. and so what I what I have to do is you know I know that I only have a fixed amount of time during the work week right um like so when I leave my home in the morning and the period between leaving my home and coming back in the you know late afternoon that is my window to make sure I have everything I need to get done professionally. But if it doesn't get done on that in that window, I may I may not get to it again because when I get home, I know that I only have a set amount of time before my son gets sleepy and we have to put him to bed. And I know that I only have a set amount of time before I probably, you know, get tired and want to go to bed to spend time with with my family, with my wife and my son. And so it really then makes me, you know, have to look at my schedule and calendar and say, okay, I I need to make sure that this is done. uh, This chunk of time I do this, that, 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 because I know when I get home, that time has to go to, to my family. And so this is something that's brand new to me. You know, I'm coming from, you know, being a student really for a good chunk of my life where it's like. OK, I can do my work during the day, come back to it, you know, take a nap, hang out for a few hours, come back to it, da-da-da-da-da, where now my my day doesn't look like that. Now I have, I have you know, real live human beings that I need to account for. And so I have to be very strategic on how I, I you know, think about my time because the work still needs to be done. You know, I still have to, you know do these professional tasks. I can't fall by the wayside with any of those things. So now it's really about managing my time um in very strategic ways. And I will say though one one thing that I do want to get to at some point is, you know, not even have to worry about work on the weekends, you know, give give that time fully to to my family. And even if it's, you know, maybe coming back to it on a Sunday afternoon before the work week starts so I make sure I'm fresh and ready to go. Uh, that's fine, but I want to get to the point where it's like my family knows that the work isn't the most important thing uh, of my day. It's really spending time with them, um, but it's it's still a struggle trying to make sure that everything lines up. I'm only about 19 months into the fatherhood thing, so <laughs> I still I'm still trying to you know, figure out best practices. But I will say that, you know, the time, the timing is, is the biggest struggle that I've had so far um, because of the, the unknowns. It's like, my son, we may think he's going to sleep through the night and no, he pops up at two, three, four in the morning. And now we're losing sleep trying to get him back to bed. And then that day now is kind of lagging behind. And I, I, I that's something that I never had to deal with. It's like, I never had that problem i always found time to do what i needed to do but now it's a it's a totally different ball game so i'm still i'm still trying to figure it out
0: yeah no i I think that that's very interesting and like to kind of circle back around like um when we were talking a little bit about pursuit of excellence i see like a little bit of that shining here especially when you talk about um pursuit of excellence not only for like your family life but also your professional life like you you mentioned as far as like um not being able to work on the weekends and dedicating that time towards your family and knowing or your family knowing that it's like you know the weekdays like doing these specific hours like I'm working you know that's what I'm doing during that time but the weekend I've dedicated 100% to my family and I think that that um that's a very admirable goal to shoot towards because it's like you know that means that you've done the necessary work that previously you weren't able to get to because of whatever reason you've dedicated now that you're you've gotten it down packed now that you can do it during the weekday and dedicate that time to your family and like even the things that you do for your family it amplifies itself and it um as well because it's like previously you might have had to do something for work over the weekend or now you have more time to do more particular activities or just chill out and like I think that that is um, really and truthfully that goal of pursuit of excellence and like I'm curious around what are some of the strategies that you're um, want to use to pursue that Like, I understand, like, when you were talking about, like, the management of the time, um, but, like, you know, there's only 24 hours in the day, right? And, like, (laughs) and so I'm curious around, like, um, what are some of the different, like, methodologies that you uh, might experiment with to be able to get to that point to where you have that ideal balance to where um, your cup. Um, is as filled as possible not only professionally personally and even for yourself
1: yeah you know i think um for me i I gotta go back to like the reasons why i do the work that i do Mm -hmm. and it's 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 interesting because i've always was like told that I was a a good student, but you know, the, the idea of like why you go to school, it was always like, you want to be, you want to provide the best, um, life for yourself and for your future family. But I always thought of that, like, in a financial sense, I never really thought of it, uh, until, you know, years later as just like a wellness, you know, sense. And so, like, literally, like, being with my family makes me happy. <laughs> like, it, it, it allows me to not necessarily think about, uh, you know, the rigor of, of the job and all of the tasks I need to complete, all of the meetings I have to attend, all the work that I have to do. It really is a way of, like, rejuvenation for me. And especially if I'm, like, killing it during the work week, I do, you know, definitely want to take those next 2 days just to kind of decompress, relax, ease my mind, ease my body and then try to, you know, you know, rejuvenate myself for the upcoming week. And so I think um just getting into that that mindset is something that has helped me, just the understanding that I don't have to do work all the time mm. like i know you know it, it's important it's important for me to work <laughs> working allows you know me to pay my bills to you know eat and you know do the things that i need to do i'm grateful for my job i'm grateful for the work that i that i am doing but i also see that work um you know as meaningless if i'm also not being um you know, being present in the lives of my family. Yeah. And so I think it's just a shift of, uh, you know, perspective for me of just seeing, well, why am I even doing this work? Um, What is the long-term goals and the long-term ends for it? And it's like, if I can't literally just take 48 hours for myself, you know, then is it even, is it even worth it? And I think, you know, that was something that I have to kind of contend with, like, if, you know, if I just don't get to it today, will things still be fine? And most likely the answer is yes. Um, even if I have to take a little bit more time with something, or even if it's, I need an extension on something, you know, I'm constantly thinking about, you know, that part of, of, of work culture and, and just shifting my, uh, mindset around that. And so I, I would say you know another thing that I I've, I've learned to do um is just like I love technology I love I love my phone love my tablet love my laptop love the TV I love it all but <laughs> just understanding that like sometimes you got to turn those things off um and so something that I've recently you know you know started doing is just like <laughs> putting time limits on like you know, the apps on my phone, like turning off notifications uh, because that allows me to just kind of like be very, um, uh, you know, I don't even know the word I'm trying to say. Like, I'm just spending my time on one thing and not necessarily being distracted on whatever is happening on my device. And so this works both ways. Like professionally, it works great. So if I, you know, turn my notifications off, I'm not being distracted as i do my work and then that increases the likelihood of me you know getting the work done in a particular time or a particular you know part of my day which is awesome and then on the flip side you know when i am at at home with my family or whatnot i don't have anything distracting me from my time with them and so i'm just trying to be you know very Uh, intentional on like just daily practices because as you said there there's only 24 hours in the day and I like to sleep so I know a third of that (laughs) I'm trying to you know catch some z's so I have to be very uh intentional on what I'm doing when I am awake uh, so I can like maximize my time for whatever uh it is that I'm doing
0: yeah man no that that makes a lot of sense and uh i really appreciate you just um dropping a lot of those gems man like i i knew whenever the idea of like getting you on the show was first thinking about it i was like i gotta have my mentor on here and i gotta have um just hear some of the things that you have to to say about just this whole balancing of life kind of thing because i think that's something that we all struggle with especially with like um when it comes to just life in general and like uh, pursuing our careers pursuing love pursuing like our families not only like the families that we're building but like the families that we were blessed with or the families that we um um, adopted like friends and things of that nature and like i always appreciated like just your perspective on life and like i figured which, you know, it came to be true that you were gonna drop some gems. So I just wanna um share my appreciation that I have for you being on the show today, man.
1: Oh man, you know, it's it's no thing. Any anything you need, you know, you got it from me. And I, I just appreciate uh, you know, the the invitation to be on and just to, you know, share some things with you and your and your audience. And so you know, anytime, just let me know what you, what you need from me.
0: <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, um, I usually have these lightning questions that I like to do at the end of every episode. And so I'm going to run through these real quickly with you and uh, let you get back to the rest of your day, man. All right.
1: Sounds good.
0: All right. What's your favorite relaxation or self-care activity? Uh,
1: It's watching a, a good television show. Good movie, uh, on the couch, just sitting back and relaxing.
0: Hey, man, I ain't nothing wrong with that at all. Um, your best book recommendation,
1: Ooh, you know, yeah. So, this is this is a difficult question for an English professor, <laughs> uh, <laughs> very difficult. But what I will say is, um, I'm, I'm just going to share the, the book that I read that probably like just changed the game for me it's an interesting book it's a, it's a novel Richard Wright native native son mm, yeah that book I read I read when I was like you know 21 22 and it changed the game for me because it was about this this young black boy growing up in Chicago poor pretty pretty much written off and just zoning in on his day-to-day life and how he struggle he's struggling to be himself he has all these pressures in the world in, in the book i mean richard wright is one of the, the greatest writers of all time and the, so the book really just takes us through you know this life of this boy named bigger thomas and and you know what ultimately happens to him it's an unfortunate thing uh hbo just actually did a little re- remix of of it a couple of years ago um but native son that that's the book, and it, I think it really just gives you a, a a very grim picture of you know black maleness, um, mm. but also the, the struggle that you know black men have of trying to carve out you know a place for themselves in the United States. Um But yeah, Native Son, that 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 book pretty much you know changed the game for me, and I, I definitely you know think everyone should read it. No man, I appreciate that, and lastly
0: one person you want to thank for your journey thus far?
1: Oh man. So again, this is a a difficult one. Um, you know, as I said throughout the podcast, uh, I'm, I'm here. Anything that I did is because of the communities that I was brought up in. I mean, just knowing that my family supported me going down to Tougaloo, knowing that I had a Tougaloo family, uh that inspired me to do greater and bigger things. And, you know, I met my wife at Tugaloo who has been there every step of the way since I was 18 years old. Like, come on, Melvin, one person. Uh, <laughs> met, look, met you at Tugaloo, you was in my wedding. Come on, man. I, I can't have one person. Uh, but I will say every 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 place that I have gone uh I've had support and that's that's one thing that you know I'm never going to say is that I did this all by myself you know look at all the things that I accomplished I I couldn't do any of the any of the things that I've done without support without mentorship without people saying I could do it believing in me and even if they're not telling me i know that i could rely on them at at any stage and so we just gonna say the whole crew everybody (laughs) who has who has had contact with me who has supported me who i've been in community with thank you thank you thank you that's how i'm answering that question Nah,
0: man that sounds good that's a great way to answer it i think uh earlier on someone answered the question with god because of all the people that he's blessed them with in their life so what's call, man I, I totally understand that i totally understand that man well i'm gonna let you get back to the rest of your day and once again just want to thank you for being on the show
1: thanks for having me of thanks course.
0: for having me this was great of course it's been another episode of don't be coy with uncle Lou. as always i'd like to thank this episode's guest for a great conversation as well as thank you the listener for joining in whether you're a first-time listener or regular I always appreciate your support. If you liked today's episode and ever want to listen to more, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And to join our community and access future bonus content, be sure to visit dbkpodcast.com.